Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 201 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Barry White. Nice. Barry White. Wow. We have uh, taken the co-hosting role up a notch. Uh, I'm Byron. And here was here was Mr. Barry White. Uh, hey, hey, Barry. Barry, let me in. I, I'm I'm actually on this show. Uh, Gary's this is back. Barry. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Barry. We'll see you a little bit later, buddy. Nice. Well, it's it's yep. nice for him to stop by just a little bit. Yep. Episode two hundred and one. Uh, we got an awesome episode today. Uh, we got Eddie Fivey uh, out of Saratoga Springs, New York, uh, BJJ Black Belt, and he's going to be talking about the the Hickson Cup uh, um, going on in in New York State uh, here. Um, so uh, definitely stay tuned. You know, find out a little bit about Eddie and the Hickson Cup. Yep, we got a lot going on. Uh... Of course, Eddie talks about more stuff other than that, but uh, the Hicks and Gracie Cup is September 9th and 10th, and there's also a seminar that uh, Hickson's teaching at that event. So uh, it be an amazing uh, opportunity if you can get out there. I think it's going to be a uh, very uh, – it's it's a different type of tournament. Of course, there's a classic jiu-jitsu-style tournament, and they also have a self-defense tournament. And going into the interview, you kind of learn that I have no idea what a self-defense tournament uh, is going to be like. So I ask a lot of dumb questions, which really helps – uh, people like me, and if you're unaware of a self-defense tournament, what that would be around, like, hey, people like you, uh, like, learn what it's going to be like, because I start off with zero knowledge in that category. So it's kind of fun to fumble through that and learn from him on the spot. Yep, and also, um, how cool would it be to be to, to go to a Hicks and Gracie seminar? So uh, not only can you compete, uh, you can also uh, go to a seminar and, and arguably, you know, one of the best ever. So uh, can't beat that. Uh, uh, two awesome, awesome things going on. Yep, uh, two awesome things going on there, and and we have two awesome audio books. One of them is your first year in BJJ. The other one I want to talk to you guys for a minute about is six BJJ training games. Uh, I'm a big advocate of... Uh, not just going and rolling hard every day, uh, rolling smarter and changing things and challenging yourself in unique ways. And these six games, you may like two or three of them, or you might like all six of them. But uh, they're going to really kind of put some limits on your game and really turn the mat into a laboratory of uh, learning and discovery for your jiu-jitsu and, and really help you break out of the shell of what you're doing now and maybe find some unique things uh, to add to your game. Just by limiting and playing these games on the mat, you're going to really discover some cool things about your jiu-jitsu. So check it out, six BJJ training games. There'll be a link to it in the show notes along with the other audiobook. It's a little over an hour long. It's five ninety nine, and the money goes and helps this show continue. Yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, we've gotten good reviews on it, and uh, a couple of people have actually said it's uh, really helped their game out. Um, what wouldn't help their game out is uh, I actually had a couple extra games that you know Byron would have let me put on <laughs> it. We've talked about a couple of them, but uh, you know another one is truth or submission. Um, Byron wouldn't let me put that one on there. That's uh, you know uh, basically a jujitsu game off a of truth or dare. Um, but um, so that's one that didn't make the cut, and probably a good reason it didn't make the cut. But definitely check out uh, six games for BJJ. Yeah, they're all games. Uh, the six that made the cut were all games that I do, and uh, and I have gotten a lot of use out of. Haven't really got much out of the tooth or dare. Uh, 
style of game. Truth or Truth submission. Or submission. I'm sorry, Gary. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I, not that I didn't give that a careful evaluation whether I should put it in the book, but I can't even remember what you called it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always picked a, pick Truth, and that way I didn't get submitted. So um, that was always pretty cool. There you go. That's a, you're a wise competitor, Gary. If speaking of being a wise competitor, you will definitely be wise if you uh, get on our email list. Uh, we have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, put your email address in there, and each and every week uh, you'll get an email in your inbox to let you know about the show and uh, and have a uh, and have the show notes right there. So you'll never miss an episode. And uh, like I just said, you'll end up being a lot more wiser. Speaking of uh, wise, we have a quote from Napoleon. Uh, hey, Gary, is that from your favorite movie? Yeah, Napo- uh, this is actually Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, dang. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, different Napoleon. There, okay. I, I was getting confused because I didn't see this one in the movie, but I thought maybe I'd just forgotten it. Uh, but the quote this week is, You must not fight too often with one enemy, or you will teach him all your art of war. And I think this is an interesting one for jiu-jitsu. So if, uh, you know, Gary and I roll quite a bit as far as um, just like over the years, we, we've added up quite a bit of time together. And it's safe to say that Gary knows my game pretty well, and I know Gary's game pretty well. And if we were going to compete, that's really not an advantage for either one of us because it's pretty pretty even. But if, if Gary kind of took notes and kind of figured out this or that, he would have a pretty good advantage. And it's just interesting to think about uh, learning about your opponent before you compete, learning about uh, maybe a style or, you know, maybe, a, you know, you you don't have any film on your opponent, but you know that this person likes to do a particular submission or a particular sweep. Learn about that a little bit can give you a, a pretty good advantage against somebody who might really give you a hard time. Yeah, I can tell you, if I was going against you, Byron, I would definitely drill my leg drag defense and my hanger team defense. Um, you know, I've rolled with you so much, uh, get to know their game. But um, I do think this can also be helpful, Um, you know, and the reason I say that is, you know, let's say, you know, let's say I'm pretty good with Kimuras and I roll with Byron all the time and Byron starts defending my Kimuras and and I can't get anywhere with it. Um, You know, he's so used to my game. I have to then come up with, you know, different ways to transition into the Kimura, uh, you know, different ways to trick Byron and, and put him down the path where I can, you know, set up a Kimura. So um, that's one advantage I like about training with somebody all the time that does know my game in and out, that I have to get, you know, creative and find different entries, different ways, uh, you know, to set up my my game. Uh, so it does help me in that way, um, you know, and and I get to learn, uh, you know, a couple more ways, uh, a couple more paths to my submission offense. That is a great example, Gary, of of how it has to benefit you for your training partners to know your game inside and out. And you, Gary throws a Kimura on me. I do, you know, my standard Kimura defense and hope and pray and and, and hopefully he gets tired and uh, he might transition to one thing or the other. But I kind of have a heads up on what Gary likes to do and when I'm in a lot of trouble. But if somebody doesn't even know Gary has a good Kimura, which hopefully I'm telling everybody right now, Kimura is pretty decent. Uh, usually the first thing works. It, you know, it, it's good enough. It's strong enough. And people like him. <laughs> Reminds me of that little uh, uh, Stuart Smalls or whatever, the guy from Saturday Night Live. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, but not a licensed therapist. 
I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. His Kimura is good enough to actually finish right off the bat if it's hitting you by surprise. And the good thing about your training partners is it's hard to surprise those people because they know you so well. And so you might find yourself at a tournament or maybe traveling in a different gym or maybe open mat with other gyms there. And typically, your Kimura, it takes you three attempts or maybe a couple of attempts, and it's actually the, the follow-up to the umaplata or triangle, however you want to, whatever you end up doing to uh, as a secondary attack. And actually, against a similar belt level and similar experience, the first-time attempt works out great more often than not because these people don't know your game. They don't know to defend that like crazy. And you've experienced this from the other side, I'm sure, as you know, this person's coming at this, at you with a particular technique. You're going to defend it before it gets started. And you know to defend it before it gets started. But if it's a surprise, man, you're in trouble before you know it. Yeah, you know, I can just think about times where we've rolled, like you you started off saying, you know, we've rolled so many rounds with each other. We know each other's game pretty well. But it, it's kind of funny the way we roll. It's like uh, for a month, one of us will be the hammer and the other will be the nail. And then all of a sudden, whatever our, our offense doesn't work as, as well anymore because the other person has figured out a defense. And then it changes where that person who was the uh, the nail for a month then becomes the hammer for a month and it switches back and forth and and then the we just figure out stuff you know out and we change our game a little bit we make a couple tweaks and then uh, you know then we're on top of the other guy we're we're controlling the game and then uh, then you figure something out and the next month you control the game so I always like uh, I always like that just you know going back and forth and you know throwing little tweaks in my game and trying to learn something new or, or trying to figure out a out a way out of as I like to say your spider web you know that you're you're uh, you know trapping me with I'm trying to figure a way around it or you know a way to block it Gary uh, I really enjoyed your uh, hammer and nail idea and I was trying to convert it to a, a brick-related thing, and I basically failed pretty miserably because I came up with one of us is the brick and the other one is the brick layer. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Uh, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. work at all. No. Oh, um, whoops. Brick uh, and... Uh, mortar, maybe, but, you know, brick layer's but funny. But mortar's still good. Yeah. One of us is the brick and... Yeah. Oh, well, hey, let's put it this way. If one of our listeners can figure something out like that, you know, instead of a hammer and nail, some way to, you know, be like a hammer and a nail, but a brick and something else, you know, send us an email, bjjbrick at gmail.com, and uh, maybe we'll start saying that uh, each and every episode. Each and every one of those episodes will have something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool <laughs> if we could uh, figure out a new tagline besides, uh, uh, don't forget to shower. <laughs> don't forget to lay the brick. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, that sounds so bad. Like, yeah, that doesn't sound too that good, sounds, You know what it sounds good, yeah. Gary? Uh, hot and fresh donuts. Hot and fresh donuts. No, I was going to say our interview with Eddie Fivey. Oh, definitely. Uh, let's get on uh, on our interview here with Eddie Fivey. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. The only move that I don't know in BJJ is tapping. I rolled with charcoal. Now I have a diamond. I had an argument with an Olympic wrestler and made the wrestler tap. The argument was over the phone. 
My understanding of invisible jiu-jitsu is amazing. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Eddie Fivey to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Eddie, welcome to the show. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate all the good stuff you guys have been doing in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun and rewarding uh, to see it uh, help a few people out, and uh, it's been fun to talk to people like you as well. So, uh, Eddie, uh, could you please introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? You've got a lot of experience and a lot of stuff to talk about, but uh, could you give us a little quick introduction? Who is Eddie Fivey? Sure. So I've been doing jiu-jitsu for about 20 years. Um, it's actually my 20th year now. I own a jiu-jitsu school in upstate New York, Malta, New York, the Eddie Fivey Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Um, I'm a retired professional MMA fighter. I've had hundreds of jiu-jitsu matches. Now I do ultra marathons and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, recently I ventured into um, putting on the Hicks and Gracie Cup, which is going to be happening in September in Albany, New York. You got a lot going on, Eddie, and we could, I think yeah. we could talk about any of those topics uh, for quite a while. We'll try to cover a lot of them. Over 300 matches. Uh, any highlights that you'd like to, to mention here? Um, you know, a lot of it was, I started doing jiu-jitsu tournaments when I was 11 years old, and I competed regularly with my, you know, me and my father would travel the country, and whenever I could, up until about 17, um, and then I, uh, when I turned 17 and graduated high school, I uh, started fighting professional MMA. So that was kind of the direction I took. I'd say the highlight of my grappling career was um, probably winning the no-gi pans at Brown Belt. I enjoyed that. I didn't really expect it, and it was a, it was a really good day. Um, competing in EBI, that was some fun stuff. But So a lot of good, a lot of good adventures along the way. Cool. And what was your uh, MMA career like? I fought for about eight years. Um, I was nine and seven, and... Uh, I I fought uh, actually Jim Miller and I had our we both had our pro debuts against each other back in 2005. Um, so I had a, a long up and down career and relationship with MMA. It was a great time. It taught me a lot about the world and life and my own personal training. And uh, you know it was time to move on. All right now you're mostly focused on jiu-jitsu and promoting it. Is that what's going on with you? More or less, I seem to have taken that role as of late. Um, my my goal when I with jujitsu always was to eventually become a teacher and open an academy. And uh, as I did that, I I'd look for different ways to essentially give back to everybody what I had been given through jujitsu. And the best way that I could do that is by teaching, but also by hosting events in which people could uh, kind of gather to celebrate the culture and celebrate the art. That's really cool. Um, I'm excited. Uh, we, we've got about an hour here together, and we've got a lot to cover. But uh, definitely want to get you talking about uh, the first Hicks and Gracie Cup in September. Uh, when is it, and what is it? So it's September 9th and 10th. It's a two-day tournament. It's going to be in Albany, New York at the CEFQ Arena, which is a really, really nice arena. The uh, University of Albany Great Danes basketball team plays there. So uh, it's a two-day tournament, kids on Saturday, adults on Sunday. We also have a Hicks and Gracie seminar on Saturday night. It's a new format that Hickson's doing that we created. Uh, it's a Hickson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu for Life educational series. Essentially going to be two hours with Hickson 
going through the philosophies and meaning of jujitsu, which is, you know, <laughs> probably one of the best things you could ever attend. Um, and we have a two-day tournament that we're excited to really showcase the entire art. So we have our sport tournament happening side by side with our self-defense championship. And uh, at the same time, uh, around the venue, we'll have vendors and exhibitors showcasing their products and their business. So we're looking to capture the entire jiu-jitsu lifestyle. Sounds like an amazing weekend. Um, just, uh, I want to cover all this a little bit more. Uh, what is, what is Hicks going to be doing, um, Saturday night? So Saturday night after our kids tournament, he's going to do a two hour seminar from six to 8 PM. And, uh, you know, in, in the past Hickson, well now he regularly does seminars and they're generally three to five hours and they go over a vast range of topics, mostly what, uh, certain concepts that Hickson can feels that everybody can translate to their own jujitsu. So it's good. That's going to be part of this, but this seminar is really to get in front of people, as many people as possible, and really go through the, the meaning of our art, the philosophy of our art, the value, the future, the direction of the art. And side by side with that, utilize techniques to get across some of the concepts. So it's really going to be something that somebody can attend, whether they're a white belt or a black belt, and take something from the white belt. Well, maybe uh, be given a, what I call a new set of eyes to, to look at the art, and the black belt will be able to find their direction and uh, keep on a good path. So I think it's going to be a really fascinating seminar. I'm excited for it. So, Is it at the same uh, location that the tournaments are being held? Yep, right at the same venue. So, yeah, right at night when the kids' uh, tournament ends, which will hopefully be early afternoon, we'll get ready, and, and Hickson will be there at night. That's really cool. Okay, now you said the tournament is – uh, is it kind of split in the middle? There's sport jiu-jitsu and there's self-defense. Is that right? Yeah. So we have, just like any other jiu-jitsu tournament, we have our you know regular gi and no gi divisions for adults and kids. And uh, at the same time, we're going to have the first ever self-defense championships, which is going to be very interesting. Uh, I, I understand. I, I think I understand the, the gi and no gi tournaments. Uh, what is a self-defense tournament? So essentially what we did was we we generally feel as if self-defense isn't being showcased enough within jiu-jitsu. Obviously, academies teach it. Obviously, academies you know, are still uh, making it a part of their curriculum, maybe not as much as some others. But So we felt that we had to create something in which we could showcase self-defense, the self-defense aspect within jiu-jitsu. So that could be for competitors – who don't prefer the sport tournaments. It could be for a competitor who can't afford the risk of injury. There's a risk of injury in anything, but in terms of maybe somebody who just can't put themselves in that type of a situation to maybe risk their career or something with an injury. Um, And also just a a platform for people to see what jujitsu has to offer in terms of self-defense. And a lot of people don't realize the, the whole aspect of it. So, and we look to do that in the, the, the best balanced way possible. Obviously, with a self-defense tournament, you, it could turn into an MMA fight, which is not what we wanted. So we tried to figure out a uh, a way to showcase it, have people compete, and make it realistic at the same time. Yeah, I can't quite uh, – help me picture it in my head with this. Sure. If I sign up, I mean, what rules am I going by or, or am I, how am I competing? So here's how it works. So essentially, let's say you sign up. All right, you're going to bring – one to three assistants or one to three teammates with you. 
you're going to do a 30-second demonstration, uh, as creative as you want, of the quote-unquote self-defense techniques within jiu-jitsu. So, you know, picture your teammate, you know, uh, moving at you and like a rear choke and you throw them over your shoulders and do an arm lock. And then the next one runs at you and you do another technique. So for 30 seconds, you're going back and forth, performing as many self-defense techniques as possible. At the end of 30 seconds, the referee on the mat and three referees mat side will uh, judge your performance on a one to 10 scale. And uh, from that, you know, we'll, we'll move people along a bracket until we can declare a winner. Are there uh, divisions as far as, you know, scale or time that you've trained or belt levels, or is it self-defense tournament, you got to have everybody in there? For the for the first tournament, we have, we've created three levels of the self-defense championships. Uh, this is just what we would call level one. And uh, so for the first tournament, the only way that it's going to be separated is by essentially age. Um, so we'll have kids and adults. And uh, the reason for that is the level one form is just basically you doing one or two moves. So, for instance, a throw and an arm lock, which is really quick. And at future tournaments, after we go through this and, and work everything out, at future tournaments will add the, the second and third phase, which will be a little bit more intensive and a little bit more technical, a little longer demonstrations, and we'll be asking more of people. So for this one, everybody in one bracket, separated by age. So I'm trying to visualize uh, how it's going to play out. Am I... Um Am I competing against another person, or am I getting a score that competes against the entire bracket, or everybody else, or do I, are there rounds, or how, how does the how does this play out? Sure. So there's one round, and um, your score will compete against everybody in the bracket. So with four judges, we're hoping to have a score that could be separate from everybody else in the bracket. Okay. And do you, how do you find these judges? That's an interesting process, I'm sure. Well, we're going to have people that are generally black belts um, who understand the technique that they're looking at and have the capabilities to evaluate as far as what we want. So you're going to be evaluated on the the criteria goes as follows. It's evaluated on technical difficulty. So in terms of how difficult the techniques were you performed, application and effectiveness, amount of techniques, and execution and creativity. So those four categor- categories are offer a lot of different um, range for a judge to score upon. And, um, you know, we think that we can vary it enough to where we'll have a winner at the end. Cool. That's uh, it, it's a, it's a neat concept. Never really heard of anything like this before. I'm going to look a little bit deeper into uh, the technical difficulty aspect. Is it kind of like gymnastics or diving where if I could do something really difficult and make it look easy, uh, is that kind of what you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, basically, well, and basically, yeah, it's if, you know, if, if your partner runs at you and you do a wrist grab escape, which takes one second, and there's not a lot of get difficulty to it. That's not going to score as high as if you do a, a perfect hip throw and a perfect arm lock or uh, a perfect rear bear hug escape into a mount, you know, so, so we want to see, we don't have, we're not asking people to do backflips and, and get crazy with it, but uh, we'd like to see people put some effort into it and uh, try to showcase some, some dynamic things. Yeah, and I think anything like this, your teammates that you have there with you will, will play a key role in your ability to to do these the way you want to, and to and to like like you said, there's part of it that's creativity and uh, and how it looks. So I think that's uh, another aspect that you need to, yeah. to count for. No, I was just going to say, I feel like uh, what this what we're also trying to do. It's it's deeper than just having a tournament where people are doing self defense moves. It's something where we want 
people to, so just by creating a tournament, people forcing themselves to compete, they're going to have to look at techniques. They're going to have to look at positions. They're going to have to look at them differently than they normally would. They're going to have to look how things go together. So we're really looking for something where it's not just about somebody winning the self-defense championships. We want people to grow and develop with this type of a division, which we think it will off, uh, you know, outside of the tournament, training for the tournament, after the tournament, at the tournament. So we look at it more of a, as a developmental thing for the student and less about somebody getting a gold medal. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, competition will push anything uh, to, to, to new levels. And if we're able to compete in this, um, maybe we'll, we'll discover really what works best as far as uh, teaching things and, and helping other people uh, improve the self-defense aspect of jiu-jitsu. Most definitely. What's the major drive in adding this self-defense element towards the tournament? Well, for myself personally, um, well, for Hickson, I should say, Hickson wanted to make sure that people, he, he did something, he wanted to create something in a way where people would look at self-defense more, where they would train it more and put more emphasis on it to add it to their, their style and to their jujitsu and maybe to their academy. So um, maybe someone at an academy that trains primarily sport, but they can't compete, is very interested in self-defense, so they're going to start looking at it. So really the first part was to open people's eyes to this aspect of jiu-jitsu if they hadn't been already for me personally i wanted to create something for a tournament where people walk in and they can look at everything that has to do with jiu-jitsu so they can see the sport the self-defense and the vendors that are related to the jiu-jitsu lifestyle all in one package so let's say somebody's never trained and they're just a prospect they can walk in and see everything that the sport or the art, I should say, has to offer. So if they like the sport, they can, you know, take a look at that. If they like self-defense, they can see that. If they want to just see the vendors and, you know, learn about fitness or nutrition, they can see that as well. So I really, my personal self, wanted to create something that showcased all of jiu-jitsu. And in the grand scheme of things, by adding self-defense, it's it's forcing people to uh, look at other aspects of the art. Or we're getting people coming out of the woodwork that have no interest in competing in the sport but want to compete in self-defense. So it's really hitting another market. Yeah, opposed to going to the to the biker bar and trying to get your self-defense competition style there, you get to do it in an actual, uh, like a structured format and, uh, and you get to showcase your skills to everybody. Yeah. And for instance, you know, we had somebody, um, I have a, a, a student here who takes private lessons and he's a surgeon and he can't afford to get hurt. His, you know, he would he would ruin his career. And uh, but he likes nothing better than to possibly compete. So there's risk of injury in anything. There's risk of injury in him training with me. But obviously, it's a little bit more controlled. So if somebody like that can have the opportunity to compete and feel good about themselves in a controlled setting, you know, that's that's a big, big victory. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like a really interesting concept. I'm sure that after you have this, you'll you'll look to be making some changes to the rules or maybe to what's what's happening out there to, to kind of tweak it. But uh, the first one will be a, an amazing sight uh, to witness. Um, do you have like rules? Is the if I'm the the person that is uh, competing and I have my three friends with me or training partners, uh, can I strike? Can I show those sorts of things? Am I doing just purely jujitsu to them to where? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically showing different holds and, and throws and things like that. Do you have any like rules of what I'm able to, to display? We wanted to really leave it open to people. Um, what we're really asking, you know, obviously, you know, it's jujitsu self-defense. So we don't want people, you know, performing a kata or something yeah. like that. 
But uh, so generally speaking, you know, I think jujitsu has a series of techniques that are defined as self-defense. And uh, we would prefer that. You know, if people want to add a knee or an elbow or a kick or a punch, obviously that's all part of the system. That's all part of jujitsu. So, you know, we have no problem with that. But, you know, we would advise people not to maybe throw any spinning back kicks or anything. <laughs> Do you see other people that uh, don't train jujitsu being able to enter this and, and who have maybe focused a lot on their self-defense in other martial arts and be able to compete in this? Or is it basically... Um, if you can't perform a really pretty arm bar or a, a really a, a very nice throw, you really, you would have a hard time competing in this competition. I think so because you know a lot of the the self defense techniques we're looking at, you know, they they involve certain grappling abilities. You know, your ability to transition, your ability to keep base, and um, other martial arts have a lot of value in what they do. But from a technical standpoint, um, it, it wouldn't be the same, and it wouldn't look the same. So we're definitely looking to showcase the the self-defense portion of jiu-jitsu very exclusively. So this will be, uh, I'll be interested in how this unfolds and it sounds like a really neat idea and uh, wish you the best of luck on that, Eddie. Uh, you've had great luck in the past. You've, you've hosted the biggest jiu-jitsu seminar in USA history. Is that correct? Yes. What was that like? I can't believe it. It actually happened. That's what <laughs> it was like. I mean, surprises. No, it was, it was just a, I, I had a an idea, you know, I wanted to, I, I went to a Hickson seminar in 2010 and it was pretty amazing um, in terms of like what it did for me and it just gave me a different perspective on jujitsu and all of my training throughout my whole life has been incredible but I, I feel like a lot of the same philosophies that Hickson was preaching at that seminar I, I was feeling and I didn't know how to articulate so it was a big thing for me and um, so my goal when I, when I started my, when I I should say, took over my academy here in Malta, um, was to bring Hickson for a seminar. I just didn't know how to do it, and I didn't know how to make one that would be appealing to him. So over time and after a couple of years, I finally was able to come up with an idea to you know, do the biggest one ever in America, which was really an interesting feat. And it just happened, just came together. You know, people, A lot of people want to learn from Hickson, so it kind of worked itself out. And how many people, uh, what was the total number? We had 320 people from uh, over 20 states and four countries, and uh, you know, people were coming from all over. And you know, the, the great thing too was, with an event like this, it's much deeper than just having a big seminar. Was, I knew that an event this size would connect people from all over the from all over the world and country. And you know, we still have people I see that have uh, built relationships from that event, which is really fascinating. You know, it's such a powerful, powerful jujitsu experience that uh, I, I see people still, you know going see each other and talking to each other and, and meeting each other from that event. It was really interesting. How do you teach jiu-jitsu to a room with 300 people? Well, Hickson has a unique way of teaching because uh, he teaches very conceptual. So anybody can, anybody's going to take the information and put it into their own jiu-jitsu very aggressively for years. I mean, you're going to spend years thinking about these concepts your whole career. So uh, what, what I did was I had a stage built in the middle of the mats and uh, Hickson was on stage, so that way everybody could gather really closely and hear him. And he had a couple of assistants, Dave Kama and Leonardo Xavier, who came out, who were incredible. And they helped him out throughout the seminar, and it, it went as good as you can imagine. It was incredible. Oh, that sounds cool. And uh, I, I, can I, where can I go find a picture of this of the stage in the middle of these mats? Is there a place I can see this? Sure. Yeah, if you go on my if you go on Facebook and you look up Five E Inc., which is my last name, Five E Incorporated. 
Um, there's some pictures on there from the Hickson seminar, and you could see the, the incredible amount of people there. You know, the other amazing thing, too, there was about 70 to 80 black belts that were actually on the mat, which was, I mean, it was, you know, breathtaking to see as far as uh, an event like that. Wow. That, that is cool. And they, those, the, the black belts knew that they were going to get something great when they, when they came, and that's why they did, obviously. Yeah. Uh, what a great yeah. opportunity. And I think that you're provo- providing that again, uh, you know, that the, it's interesting. You know, kids tournament that night, Hickson, uh, teaching everybody in a, in a big seminar and then at the adult, uh, tournament, um, sounds like, a, sounds like an amazing event. Yeah. That's what we're really looking for something to, we'll cel- celebrate the culture of jujitsu and, and honor the traditions and, and really provide something where students can compete and feel that competitive urge that everybody has, but also really make it a powerful developmental tool for everybody's growth in jujitsu. Yeah. Um, the self-defense aspect is interesting. Have how, how do you feel the idea of jujitsu as a self-defense? I mean, we're not um, you know hitting baseballs and shooting baskets. We're, we're doing something that if if something came down in life to where I need to defend myself, it would work. I mean, I can't find a, a situation yeah. in life where I need to make a basket and it actually affects the the outcome of whether I go to the hospital or not. So I mean, we're not just doing jujitsu. We're the, the self-defense aspect, but. Um, how does it make the sport or jujitsu better? Yeah, uh, so you're at, you mean like what does self defense provide to jujitsu? Or, yeah. Or, so I'm for me, it's it's a much deeper meaning than your preparedness on the street. That's usually the argument that people will lump it into. You know, they'll lump it into this argument of like whether they get in fights or whether they don't get in fights, and that's how they base their preference of jujitsu. But for me, self defense is is a way of, it's it's kind of the truth and the foundation of jiu-jitsu. And if you look at self-defense in jiu-jitsu first, if you base every position that you know and everything that you know in jiu-jitsu first with self-defense, you're immediately forced to, to face the, the strongest reality of the position. So as you analyze jiu-jitsu, as you develop your technique and as you hone things, if you look at the reality of self-defense first, it's going to filter down into a uh, a much better position, you know, because if I have to look at escaping the mount and first I say to myself, okay, uh, first I don't want to be punched. That immediately changes everything I do in the position. And what's interesting is that when I do that, it makes for a better, a better, let's say, escape from the position. It's going to put me in a safer spot and it's going to add more sharpness and more effectiveness. So I just feel that I think we need to look at self-defense differently than we do not. I don't, I don't think we should just think of it as what you would do on the street in a fight. We need to look at it as it's the truth of the art. It is the, the every position starts from there. If I start my escape from the bottom of the mount, just thinking about being collar choked, it changes the whole dynamic of the position. But I start from reality and I work my way down and it makes everything much stronger. It's kind of an interesting filter to apply to all of your jiu-jitsu and, and does it pass through that? And, and not that different people have different opinions, but not that um, some things in jiu-jitsu don't work great and would cost you a, lot, a few punches in the face in the process. But yeah. if you're questioning, you know, what, is this a good move for me? You could, anybody could apply that into self. Like, okay, if I'm the other person and I could hit them or, uh, you know, bite them or pull their hair or whatever, um, mm-hmm. how would this affect the, the technique and the move that I'm trying to do? I think it's an interesting filter. 
Yeah, and it's really like what I've realized too is as I examine it more is that all techniques are applicable. All techniques have a place. The problem is the concept in which the techniques are applied, the space in which they're applied. You know, some like a, a heel hook from the bottom is completely valuable in any situation. But obviously, you know, if you allow the person to put their weight on you or, or sit in type type of some type of dangerous position, you know, before you do the heel hook, it's it's not only going to be tougher to execute in the sport, but you could get hurt in a fight. So it's like if I examine that position as space and distance and being struck, you know, and then I work my way down, maybe even thinking about size, uh, time limits, energy expenditure, whatever, it's going to make for a stronger position no matter what. And all techniques ha- are applicable. They, you know, it's just that it, it's very important that they pass through a certain um, conceptual truth. When in your jiu-jitsu career did you start really applying uh, this conceptual truth? I think I've always, I, when I started jiu-jitsu, I lived in the middle of a ghetto and, uh, you know, I, I've had everything that could happen to me or happen to a person happen to me. And so when I started jiu-jitsu, it was like, and it was no other thought. And plus at the time period that I started, that what's interesting now is the, what people see with jiu-jitsu is they see the UFC and they think that jiu-jitsu is just a thing in the UFC. They just think that it's kind of interesting. But when I saw it and other people um, at that time, you know, we saw the, the reality of what was possible. We saw this little person beating all these big guys. Very simple. So the the way that I saw jiu-jitsu in the beginning, it, it was like no other thought but self-defense. But, you know, developing this power and this this ability to defend yourself and, and feel confident walking around. And it's it's much deeper than just defending yourself. So for me, it was like right from the beginning. You know, I always knew I was going to fight. And I lived in a bad neighborhood. So I was always thinking about the danger in certain positions i remember being 12 years old and asking my instructor you know what would i do if a, like a 300 pound person attacked me and i was only 90 pounds and he laughed at me but i was actually serious and uh you know it forces you to look at everything differently when you think with that type of a mindset so right from the beginning yeah that's that's and, and i can see why and if you're if you're concerned about your safety on a regular basis uh you did good by by searching out and an art like jiu-jitsu, uh, eventually moving into MMA to uh, to to go that route. I mean, wise use of your time, if not you know just for learning the art and, and which you become. But uh, as a young person on the streets trying to trying to stay safe, it's uh, yeah, is a good move. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a big help. Obviously, yeah, definitely. I think sometimes uh, in jiu-jitsu, uh, people get frustrated with each other as far as some people not wanting to do any self-defense and some people uh, doing things that, you know, it actually be probably a bad idea in a fight. And, you know, I can look back when I first started jiu-jitsu, I, I look at other martial arts and think, okay, those guys probably wouldn't do that good in, a, in an actual fight. If, if they got attacked, those guys, what they're doing is kind of silly and it's not going to work. And I think if we kind of look at jiu-jitsu now with that, I think – that's part of what bothers people is, is you could say that guy, what he's doing, that really wouldn't work that good in a fight. And, and so I think that trying to keep us a little bit grounded in reality, sure. Those, these techniques are a lot of fun and, and they're really amazing what they could do. But uh, sometimes uh, things that you're trying to do, like, like the Hillick example, if you're going to get 
hit four times in the face as you're trying to heal somebody, you could probably change your heel hook and not get caught so many times. And, sure, uh, yeah. and the heel hook will still destroy the knee, but it's going to be, you'll, your face will be a little bit prettier if you yeah, don't catch yeah. all those punches. But I think, you know, the similar frustration from that martial art isn't going to really provide self-defense looking outside other, at our, other martial arts. Now it's really frustrating if you look into jujitsu, into the art itself and say what that person is doing or what that team or whoever. And, and I can see why that would bother people because you know it is it's all one big art it's all one big family and we want each other to be successful and to and to preserve uh what what originally brought us here yeah and and i think too it's it's um exactly like you're saying there's a lot of good points um i think it's you know i I don't like to get into the like people people are going to explore the art in any way they want and the art is infinite you know really what's possible or what you can do and even in terms of what you enjoy, you know, if if somebody wants to practice sport jujitsu all the time, that's incredible. I love that. Like, I love it. people expressing the art however they want. And I'm no, you know, influencer, but I think it's great for people to practice jujitsu however they would like. The only, you know, kind of weird area you get into is when if you're starting, if you're if you're teaching and you're promoting that you teach self-defense, but you don't you don't teach any self-defense that that creates kind of a. A controversial situation you know and if we're not continuing to look at the the foundation and the core of the art which stems from self-defense then what is this going to eventually lead to in the future who knows yeah and and a lot of a lot of it's just awareness i mean the if somebody's a purple belt and they compete or they're just they're a legit purple belt the odds are they'll be fine on the street with uh they could they could take away some of their techniques that would be a bad idea and you know staying smart so i think having awareness of what could happen in certain situations like 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 the mount example if you get mount on me and all i'm worried about is getting choked or armbarred and then i start taking uh you know punches i'm gonna be shocked oh i didn't even think about that i get hit from the mount i can't you know everybody would think about it but now but just but just getting some exposure and it doesn't take a lot of time to uh to consider self-defense in your jujitsu and to evaluate it and how it would do and, and, and how it could be better. Cause I think it's, it is hard to break how it would actually do because self-defense is a, is a very dangerous thing. And, you know, often against more than one person and, and definitely not on the mats and, and these things, but just considering it occasionally and thinking about it, I think helps us kind of prepare, uh, should something bad happen. Yeah, more or less just using it as a base too, just a, a base for how how you understand the art and how you look at a position and and how you think about what you're doing and you know what type of mindset you have. I think it's I think it's just a powerful base that you can have, and then from there you can you know you can go in any direction you want, you know, or in terms of if you're passing down the art to somebody who doesn't have the physical abilities that somebody or you might have, how are you gonna relate the art to that person? If all you know is the sport, it's not going to make any sense to them, and it's going to be totally, you know, not totally, but it'll be less effective. Uh, looking at the way you have this tournament set up, it's going to be a great showcase of of what jiu-jitsu can do in a self-defense uh, situation or environment, and uh, it help us kind of figure out as students, you know, maybe maybe this or this person that won it, um, maybe these are techniques I should try to incorporate or I should try to, to pick up in some degree. Yeah, I think, it, like I said, it's going to be such a strong developmental tool for all the students just to just to look at the art in a different way if they haven't before. You know, it'd be exciting. You have a kids tournament that uh, the day before. Uh, any different rules with the kids tournament or anything going on with that? 
No, we're not going to change too much in terms of the the rules of the sport tournament. We have some things that we're adding and some different ideas, but um, the kids tournament uh, is going to be pretty much just like most other jujitsu tournaments that you've been to in terms of rules, not in terms of the flow or, you know, we're offering double elimination for the kids and adults. So um, nothing crazy in terms of the rule setting. Cool. Double elimination is is nice. That guarantees you get at least two matches. You know, if you're if you're traveling yeah. and and everybody's even people who are very good and competitive have have traveled and had a quick tournament and and it's a long ride home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for people that are developing that are new in the art and that maybe aren't aren't uh, great at competing, so to speak, there's a good chance that they're going to go out there and have a tough first match just because they have no perspective on how to feel or be. So by having double elimination, you could take that person and now give them another shot to get back out there and, you know, feel like they've done something. So, so it's going to definitely be nice. Yeah, that, that, that's a good option. And I think it's great to, uh, to help people get more experience while they're out there. Is the point system normal? Are, are you guys having advantages or? Uh, no advantage points. So we have, uh, you know, your normal quote unquote jujitsu point system um, with some tweaks. But uh, the main thing is that we're offering no advantage points. So, you know, we think what that's going to do, it's going to force a little bit more action. You know, if, I mean, certain positions where you know that, like, let's say a, a near sweep, which might be an advantage in a tournament. If you're going to get an advantage, you know, and, and you can go for it, are you going to re- really risk the full length of the sweep? You know, when you could just get an advantage, it's hard to argue. It's hard to say. But we feel like by ha- having no advantage points, it's going to make people force positions a little bit more, which is going to force action. And how are how are you dealing with uh, a tie? Um, so we'll go to a referee's decision, and we're we're working that out as we speak in terms of what's going to be involved with the referee's decision. Uh, you know, in terms of compelling submission attempts and things like that. So we're putting we're finalizing our criteria right now in order to have a referee's decision um, in the event that that happens. Yeah, well, th- that's a that's a valid way to solve it, and I'm sure. At a tournament this large, it'll happen to some people. I mean, that's just sure. just the way it is, and and it's good to have a, a referee decide. Um, I mean, that's just that's an option. So as a, as a player, if you feel like the the round's ending, or you know your time is running low, and, and you feel like you've done a, a better display of of jujitsu, or you've played the game you wanted to play, um, you know that might cross your mind, or or you're tied, but you managed to get a few points at the beginning, but you basically gotten kind of beat up the rest of the the match you might need to pick things up a little bit and try to take it via points exactly any any different rules with submissions or legal legal things no we're going to keep everything pretty standard you know as far as what you might see at the ibjjf thing we're we're debating some topics right now uh in the black belt no gi division such as heel hooks because heel hooks are such a big thing now in the scene that we're, we're debating that in our no gi divisions for higher belts um but we don't want to create or we don't want to do too many things different on this first one. We want to give people an opportunity to come and compete. We want to add our, you know, our own perspective and our own flavor to the divisions, you know, with double elimination and with no advantage points and our special stalling clock that we're coming up with. So I, I think that'll be enough. And, uh, you know, that way people won't have to, you know, wonder exactly how different it's going to be or have to change up their, their training. You said you had a, a certain clock that will help with uh, stalling? Yeah, so uh, with our tournament software that we have, we uh, came up with an idea. Came up with an idea called it's called the stalling clock. 
So basically what it's going to be, it's a, kind of like a shot clock. So on the scoreboard, if the referee deems that someone's being passive or someone's stalling, and everybody knows what stalling looks like, if the referee deems that someone's stalling, the there's going to be a 20-second timer, countdown timer that turns on, a red timer. And uh, at 10, if you're still doing the same thing at 10 seconds, you're going to lose a point. If you're still doing the same thing at 20 seconds, you're going to be DQ'd. I don't foresee anybody getting DQ'd because I think the idea of the clock is going to add a psychological element to the match in which people have to move or they feel the, or they have to do something. Um, otherwise, it's not going to be in their favor. Well, and it's going to be to where the the if you mount me and and yeah. I'm and I'm holding on tight and trying to just survive could I get DQ'd for stalling you out at from the from such a bad position or is it like more of a like I'm I'm acting like I'm trying to pass the guard or I'm just hunkered down in your clothes guard not want letting you move your hips at all uh, sure yeah well that's the thing is you know we've we've talked about so many different aspects of what could happen but at the end of the day Everybody watching knows what stalling That's is. That's true, and yeah. They all know who who's stalling and they know and the person who is stalling knows that they're stalling and everybody knows it. So it's not really something you can argue. Um but now what this is gonna be though is you could be on top of the melt and the referee might call you for stalling. You know, because let's say you, you scored a takedown and it's two minutes to go and you just want to sit in the mount and the bottom person's not that good at escaping, the clock's gonna turn on. No. You don't have to jump for a submission to get the clock to go off, but you have to be progressively working because really what we're looking for is if somebody's not if somebody's not moving in a direction that's going towards victory in terms of scoring points or finishing, the clock's going to go on. So if you're ahead by points, generally speaking, now there's a strategy and things like that. And we're going to be realistic. You know, it's not going to go on every five seconds, but if you're ahead by points, you should still be working towards a submission because that's the goal of the match. And if you're losing by points, uh, or if it's a tie, you should be looking to score or looking to get a submission. So, you know, we're going to use the clock and we're going to call stalling. Think of it more as being someone being passive. If somebody's not progressing the match, if they're not trying to score, if they're not trying to submit, the the you know the clock's going to go on. There you go. That it sounds like an interesting uh, solution to a uh, a problem that that pops up at all levels. You know, he yeah. No. It, and, and you know, competitors they they get they want to win. You know, they 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 get up on a few points, and uh, they may not be wanting to get a submission, but they feel like if I just do nothing or if I just hold strongly, I have the win locked up, and it really uh, it, it makes it a little harder to enjoy jujitsu as a as a spectator or as a fan. Yeah, and it, it's it adds something to where it's like the the. So that that's a really kind of a sad thing too, because then what happens is the victory holds more value than the actual development or the actual showcase of the art, and I, I don't think that's always the best thing. I don't think the best thing is always winning a medal. Obviously, you're there to win, and it is you know you're playing a game, quote unquote, within a certain set of rules. But if your goal is just to get a medal by doing the most minimal, smallest thing. What does that really do for jujitsu? What does that really do for your own jujitsu? You know, there's no, I mean, I think I've seen people and myself, including the past, have pushed it and have, have lost a match trying to go for a finish or, or scored a tie trying to go for a finish. Um, and they felt good about it, you know, and in certain victories where you knew that you, you know that you just hung on, you know, you know, you scored one point and you just hung on for the victory. 
you know, 10 years down the road, that's not going to be something you, you enjoy. Yeah, that's going to be, I, I think if, if you go out there and you, you give your effort and you, you do your best jujitsu, even if it doesn't go your way, you should be able to walk away and feel like, Hey, you know, it just wasn't the car for me. The, the, this guy, he, he I, I couldn't, there's nothing I could do today to beat this guy. You know, I, I gave it my 100% effort, and I came up a little short. But you can also look at the same idea as when you win. If you walk off the mat saying, I could have submitted that guy, but I just wanted to be extra careful, that takes away a little bit from what you just did. And it, it, why have that feeling? You know, if you could have submit the guy, submit the guy. I mean, yeah. it's an important thing to, to keep pushing and, and advancing forward. And I think we kind of, when we compete, people forget that they're their big goal is to get better at jujitsu. And this, this match right now is a small part of that. But if mm-hmm. you get to a certain level in the match and you just slam, slam the brakes on it, you're really uh, missing out on a part of your game that you could learn a lot during the match. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the different things apply for competitors at the professional level. I mean, if there's money on the line, then obviously, you know, you're, you're going to do what you have to do to make sure that you, uh, you you get that prize so to speak but you know at the amateur level it's i think it's very important for people to push the pace and test themselves that's the whole reason that everybody's out there yeah i would i would urge i mean look at the same professionals if you're a professional athlete and and you're known for stalling who wants to sponsor that person compared to somebody who is known for really going for things and being aggressive and and you know there's not a whole lot of stalling matches that end you know two three that go viral but if if you if you can get a a great submission on a a great uh, opponent um your people who are sponsoring you're going to love that and 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 they'll love supporting that sort of athlete so i think at the professional level the pressure to finish is still there as far as to have an exciting match and to really showcase what your uh, sponsors are helping you do. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. So, uh, I, I imagine a big tournament and event like this, you have some, uh, sponsors or some, some people helping you out. Um, currently we're, we're still working on putting together our exhibitors and our vendors. The, the main sponsors for the event that, um, is the, the jujitsu global federation, the JJGF, um, and then uh, my my own company, and then Fuji Mats, which is providing all the mats for the tournament. They've been incredible, Jimmy Pedro at Fuji, and uh, they're going to be selling the mats at the tournament also. So, um, with that, you know, and now we're working on everything else and putting everything into place. Cool. And where can we go to uh, find more information? So you can go to www.hicksandgraciecup.com or fiveinc.com and. Uh, go there and you can learn all about the tournament and the seminar and, and everything that goes along with it all right cool uh, eddie do you have any uh last thoughts or words for the audience no i just uh yeah i mean thank you for having me on here really appreciate it i love talking about jiu-jitsu i could talk all day about it um and i hope to see everybody at the hicks and gracie cup in september awesome well i'd like to thank eddie uh, for coming on the show and talking to us uh, we definitely learned a lot from him uh, one thing that I thought was really cool is in the uh, the Hickson Cup there on uh, September 9th and 10th, where they have the the self defense you know tournament demonstration kind of like um, I have never seen that in a tournament setting, and I just think it's great because I think sometimes people forget about the self defense aspect, and you know this is going to get you know keep it top of mind, keep people you know realizing you know that's really where jujitsu came from, and uh, 
you know, work on the, uh, you know, show that it works for self-defense. I, I do hear sometimes I, you know, I'll tell somebody I do jujitsu and the first thing they tell me is, oh, that would never work in a real fight. And uh, it's like, hey, you know, get on the mat with me and try to throw some punches and see what happens. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it really does work. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a great self-defense sport. Um, well, sport and you know, great self-defense martial art it's a great martial art for self-defense um and uh you know i it drives me crazy when i do hear some people that don't train the sport at all tell me you know and hey none of this will work uh you know you put me in an arm bar and i'll bite you um hey buddy uh before you can bite me i'm gonna uh tear your arm you know turn it into a nunchuck um you know i can do the same stuff you can do to do to me but i'm going to be controlling top position uh, which is going to make it hard for you but uh, I thought that was unique. Um, I have never seen that before, and uh, I really think that aspect is pretty cool. Yeah, and definitely the the seminar. So go to the website. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, HicksonGracieCup dot com. There's uh, up. They're updating the. Uh, they're updating it pretty regularly and, and filling in the the spots where there were some questions about rules and and some of the stuff like that. But uh, check it out. But the seminar, Jiu-Jitsu for Life by Hicks and Gracie, he's got, uh, that's going to be on September 9th. So if you're able to make it for on the 9th, that's something that you will not want to miss. And sounds like a great opportunity uh, to, to learn from Hickson and, and to learn about some of the things he's uh, promoting and teaching about Jiu-Jitsu and, you know, Jiu-Jitsu for Life. I like that. It's not... Uh, necessarily looked he's not trying to teach you how to get good at jiu-jitsu to win you know uh, your first white belt tournament and that he's jiu-jitsu for life we're doing this for a long time guys it's a journey we're in it together and we're gonna get uh, a great experience out of this process and i think that's just by the title of that alone that's kind of what i'm getting like uh this is this is a lifelong pursuit here and uh and it's going to be a great time I think that's why, you know, it appeals to me so much. I mean, you know, as you guys know, I, I just turned 50 and, and that's my thing. I, I love the sport so much and, and I really just think about training in my seventies into my eighties. I'm going to be training, you know, as long as my body is physically able to. And, and I think I'll be able to, you know, train a long time. And then I think this sport will keep my body in a lot better shape and allow me to, you know, train longer and, and be in better shape than the average person. And, and that's, you know, what I am, what I, what my goal is in jujitsu now is, you know, to, to have fun, to be able to, you know, stay in shape and, and, you know, learn these skills that are going to last me a lifetime where, you know, I can still train with a, with a 20 year old when I'm, when I'm, you know, 65, 70 years old. And, and that's really where I'm looking at. I'm not looking to, you know, become a world champion. I'm looking to, uh, uh train for a long time and stay healthy. Yep. That's uh those great goals, Gary. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be on this journey with you, my friend. Why, thank you, Byron. Speaking of people on the journey with us, we have our Patreon supporters. Uh, if you sign up on Patreon, uh, you, you like you pitch in a dollar per episode of the show, which doesn't seem like a crazy amount of money uh, coming from any one person, but as a group, they have really helped out a ton. Uh, you get a BJJ Brick Gee Patch and a sticker sent to you. You get to join the private Facebook group where occasionally I'll ask the group questions or you know, like, hey, I'm interviewing this person and anything in particular you want me to ask them. Uh, that's always kind of fun to get those questions out. And, uh, and, and most importantly from, you know, a bit huge thank you to the future Patreon supporters. If you're considering it, go check out the video that's on there and, and the little Patreon website link in the show notes. 
And uh, it just means a lot to us that there have been people that have signed up and, and supported us. And uh, although we didn't get any new supporters in the month of July, we we have a uh, nice group of people that have been supporting us uh, for for a decent for over a year now, and and, and many of them are newer. But uh, we're really looking forward to getting a few this month, and uh, that could be you, my friend. And uh, our numbers have definitely grown as far as downloads go, and, and the community that's listening to this show, hoping to also see a little bit more of an increase in the Patreon support. And even just one or two people uh, signing up in this month, and, and Gary and I will be uh, really excited about that. So uh, that might be you, and it just takes a couple of mouse clicks or a couple of clicks on your phone, and you could help us out every month. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Uh, without you, uh, we would not be able to keep this break afloat. Speaking of keeping a break afloat, uh, if we were trying to sail on a boat made out of bricks yes. only— we would probably be in danger. Wouldn't you say so, Byron? Yeah, well, like I was saying, I'm not really a bricklayer myself, and I, I don't know how to how to make them into the boat shape. Um, but I really don't think a bunch of bricks with some mortar would float. And, you know, I think that would be dangerous. And that kind of leads us into our article of the week. Um, we have, uh, you know, one of our previous guests, uh, John Will, He's got an awesome blog uh, with a with a lot of great stuff on there. But uh, we took uh, took one of his articles on his blog, and it's called "Understand Understand Where the Danger Is and Don't Be There." Um, you know, he starts off saying, "You know, this is a fundamental concept that is overlooked." Um, you know, he he talks about you know talking about his coach. You know, when he first started, I, I would assume, and you know his his coach, you know, was three or four paces from him and asked uh, John, do you think he, he could knock John out from there? And, uh, you know, John replied, no. And then he asked him to clinch him tightly and asked again, can I knock you out now? And John replied, no. He then asked me, where would I need to be, you know, the best chance of knocking me out? And uh, he stood a couple of feet away from him and said, around here, you know, and he looked at, at John, smiled and said, don't be there. And basically, this is kind of, you know, where we're going. Um, we, we talk about, you know, doing submissions and, you know, all the cool stuff. But besides just knowing submissions and everything else in jiu-jitsu, we need to know where not to be. You know, that's just as important. Um, and uh, we don't want to, you know, we've, we kind of talked a little bit earlier, Byron, when we were talking about me and you rolling. You know, we try to put each other down a path that we don't really want to go and uh you're trying to force me down there try, you know opening a door and trying to lead me down there and uh you know i should know that i shouldn't be there but you know sometimes uh i don't know where you're taking me and i, I you open up a, a gate and uh, i think it's a opportunity for me and as I, i'm going down there you know i realize that uh you know, you just put me into a trap. You set me up. And uh, that is definitely a place I do not want to be. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, I'm in trouble when I get into that place where I shouldn't be. To uh, to make uh, an example of this, don't be there between Gary and I. Uh, I'm comfortable uh, applying and defending footlocks in general. Uh, I don't have that's not definitely my. Yeah, main part of my game, but uh, if it's there and, and I kind of feel like going for it, like I'm happy to try. I, I know if I do this, if Gary and I were like, if it really mattered and we weren't just training, like, and, and Gary and I were, you know, fight to the death. Gary's been in like 27 fight deaths to the 
Gary's yeah, been I'm, in like 27 death matches, and he's won most of them. If well, I got into one of those... Actually, Byron, yeah. Byron, I'm 12, 13, and 2 in death matches. 12 wins, 13 losses, and 2 draws <laughs> in death matches, just so everybody knows. I'd ask about the 13, but I'm more interested by the 2 draws. Um. <laughs> uh, but uh, So if I was in a death match with Gary... I would stay away from the leg lock game at all costs, even though most of the time I'm comfortable leg locking. I know Gary's he's steps ahead of me, literally steps ahead of me in the leg lock game. And and if I if I started by attacking his feet, if if I did that to myself, he's going to finish by getting me into the foot lock or a leg lock, and it's just going to be bad news. So uh, you know maybe Gary could drag me into that game and, and set up a, a leg lock and get me. But I'm definitely not going to start that attack myself because that game in particular lends itself to being counterattacked with uh, offense, not just defense. So, uh, like, that's, I think, a pretty decent example of, of don't go there. You know, I, I know, okay, I'm, uh, let's say Gary pulls guard on me. I'm at the pass his guard or I'm not going to, or I'm going to get Kimura. Uh, go for the footlock. Not going to do that. He's going to catch me with that. So I really have one option is to move forward and then try to pass. I don't want to enter the leg lock game uh, with this guy. It's, it's just a part of the game I don't want to be in. Uh, that being said, I'm happy to train with him. I'm happy to have him submit me with leg locks, and uh, that's part of the learning process. So just kind of keep that in mind from uh, typical jiu-jitsu is not typically a death match, and it's a learning experience, and, and try to learn from uh, when Gary taps me 14 times in a row with a straight ankle lock from uh, uh, who knows where, anywhere. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just uh, the idea of, of don't be there. You know, uh, John goes on to talk. There are basic things we shouldn't do. Don't play with lions. Pick up snakes. Well, especially uh, poisonous snakes. And and John being on Australia, um, I think they got all the, oh, the really poisonous snakes, the taipans, the uh, uh, tiger snakes. Um, you know, so that's a place where you definitely don't want to pick up snakes. Don't don't swim in a raging river. You know, Byron, you a firefighter, you've probably rescued people in swollen rivers. Um, you know, and a big one, uh, don't spend more than we earn and live on credit cards. Um, you know, me being a banker, I see that all the time. And, uh, you know, people do this stuff. It, it happens. And, and like what John says, you're going to pay a, pay a price. Um, you know, that's in life. And, you know, we've already talked about the jujitsu part. Uh, um, you know, don't, you know, go into, don't play in somebody's, you know, strength, you know, their strong game. Um, you know, don't go down that path either. You're going to pay a high price. Um, and, uh, you know, we're probably going to, uh, there's going to be danger and a good chance that if we go down that path, we're going to lose. Yeah, by simply not doing it. Um, the example of these dangerous activities, uh, don't pick up snakes. Uh, Gary, you know what the most dangerous snake is in the whole world? I would have to say, would it be a, a taipan or a, or a black mamba? Well, I don't know, but I would say that it's the one that just bit you. Because uh, <laughs> you got that problem going on if you just get bit by a snake. Uh, hopefully we'll never run into a taipan. I don't even know what a taipan is, Gary. I'm really impressed by your snake knowledge. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I like to watch those shows about uh, poisonous snakes and stuff like that. So, uh, but uh, yeah, Australia has uh, has a lot of the crazy snakes. Yeah. They got the funnel web spiders, they got saltwater crocodiles. So, you know, John is in the land of danger, and John knows where not to be. And he does those kind of uh, adventure hiking style of, of, uh, 
activities as well. And uh, yep. he's not, he hasn't got caught out there too bad yet, I guess. Yep. Uh, still around he uses with his brain. <laughs> yeah. And he knows not where not to go. Yeah. And so uh, just by stay out of those situations, it, you know, yep. just same thing as, you know, at work or, you know, if you know, go to the bar tonight where there was a fight last night or not, uh, maybe it's another night to stay in, you know, just by not being there. I think also remember this article kind of reminded me of that story of, uh, two young martial artists who, you know, went away to some big camp, uh, like a, like a retreat and the training's almost complete. And the, the master said, okay, tomorrow, uh, this is the last test. And if you fail it, I'm going to attack you with this stick. And he left them all each in their, in their room alone with the stick and they slept in in, uh, in isolation, and they had to think about what the test was going to be and, and how they were going to pass it. And the the door opens up, and the on the first guy, and he's standing there, uh, getting ready for the test, you know, mentally. And the the martial art master picks up the stick and starts beating him with it. It's like, oh, well, pretty much failed the test for some reason. I'm getting beat with a stick. Opens the door, and the second martial artist, and he's holding the stick. It's in his hand, and and there's no way that this. Uh, even the master could not take it from him just because he's a trained guy, but he's holding the stick, hold the stick, take control of the thing that is important. And uh, that's the position to be in. And of course he did not get beat by the stick because he passed that test. And, uh, and then of course he continued on and to be, uh, the guy that, uh, beat Gary with a stick. <laughs> yep. And, uh, just so you guys know that guy that held the stick, he's right here. It's Byron Jabara. <laughs> Always holding a stick. <laughs> well, some people. Oh, don't. Gary, man, yep. Yep. got me. But hey, uh, back to the article. He finishes off his very last paragraph, and uh, uh, basically, it's three words: basics, people, basics. And uh, you know, we always preach basics. Uh, basics win matches. Basics, uh, you know, are definitely going to make your game good. You know, practice the basics. Yep. Hey, Gary, this hey, isn't Byron. really. This isn't really basics. It's Matt Tales time. Yes. Well, Matt Tales could be basic um, or uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. So, But I am happy we have a Matt Tale, and that way I do not have to uh, make up a fake audiobook again this week. I will call this one up because I know Matt is like figuring out a Matt Tale, writing it up, sending us a bit of work. If you want to send in an audiobook for Gary, a title – uh, that's also on the table, and, and uh, oh, we'll get to Byron. watch him work on that. Or if you send Gary an audiobook, I guess he can give it to me. But uh, getting a hold of me at bjbrick at gmail.com is the easiest way to get your audiobook to Gary delivered like a hot and fresh donut to that guy and watch him work. You know, I can see it right now. You're going to have one the day after <laughs> this airs from Joe Thomas. That would be very nice, and I know it would be yep. a good title. Yep, I, I, I know Joe, he likes to mess with me, so uh, <laughs> I see it happening. Here's our Matt Tales this week. This is Matt Tales. We bring you amazing jujitsu stories. The stories might be funny, unfortunate. It could be about an epic fail or an epic win. So sit back, my friend, relax, dry off your sweat from rolling, and enjoy Matt Tales. I recently joined a new MMA school that opened up near my work. The club has two clear demographics due to its location. 
It's near a university, so the evening classes are dominated by young, athletic, and slightly overcompetitive young men. It is also on the edge of a technology park, so lunchtime classes tend to be nerdy, middle-aged family men, like myself. I'm a luncher white belt with a couple of years of experience. However, when I get the night off, I like to head to the night class for some challenging cardio and harder rolls. On this particular evening, a newly promoted blue belt, who we'll call Sam, was at the gym. And Sam has only one speed. Top speed. When the time came to roll with Sam, I took a moment, mentally prepared myself. I was focusing on half guard this month. I ran through my sequence of attacks that would hopefully see me sweep straight to a guard pass. We fist bumped. I got a collar grab and a quick shove. He naturally pushed me back, so I executed the collar drag to deep half. I secured the position and was able to bridge and turn up to the over-under pass to get my side control. Things were going well. It was at this point when Sam suddenly morphed into a raging bronco, violently and explosively trying to bridge me off. I was not able to secure a good crossface, so he managed to turn into me, but I anticipated the move and managed to spin behind him, sinking in a bow and arrow choke for the finish. Sam wasn't very happy, and I could tell. He very slowly got back to his feet, we slapped hands, and we started. The sequence was almost identical. However, when it came time for his rodeo raging bronco impersonation, it was even more violent and explosive than the first time. I tried to spin behind to get towards his back, but he was faster and stuffed one of my legs into his half guard. This time he put on a tight lockdown. I tried to whip my leg out to side control. With a sudden torque on my leg, I felt my kneecap dislocate. I yelped and he stopped moving. I couldn't roll off of him from the pain, so he scooted out from underneath me. I was able to put my kneecap back into place. I wasn't angry with Sam. My knees are a bit more prone to injury than most. I was mainly upset that I'd be missing about two weeks of training. I hobbled off the mat to get some ice, and Sam moved on to his next roll. That's when I heard another yelp. I turned back, and Sam's next training partner was clutching his jaw. Sam had cross-faced somebody hard enough to get them to chip their tooth. I made a mental note. Maybe a little bit too late, but I would be avoid rolling with Sam in the future. The weeks passed and my knee healed up. I returned to the night class, but Sam was nowhere to be found. During my training, my partner made an error with his leg placement after a sweep. The teacher corrected him and said, if he did it that way, he might end up like Sam. I was intrigued with my last experience with Sam being such a spaz, putting two training partners in a row out of commission. Had he been penalized by one of the coaches in some crazy way? I asked what happened to Sam. I was told he had half completed a sweep, but had a compromised leg position. So he was struggling to come up on top. Instead of resetting or looking for a base, he powered through it. He ended up tearing three ligaments in his knee, requiring surgery, and he's off the mat for at least six months. This has been a tale of spazzy Sam. May it serve as a warning to all of us of the dangers of spaz. This has been Matt Tales. Some of the names and places may have changed. We may, in fact, have taken some creative liberties with the story. In order to keep Matt Tales going, we need more tales. Tales from listeners like you. 
send your tales to bjjbrick at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your amazing stories. That was kind of a cautionary tale against the, uh, I guess, spaz or the the person who's just going too hard, maybe a little too early on in their journey. Uh, It's good to to kind of learn what's going on before you decide to go all out and uh, maybe injure other people or injure yourself. So uh, when your coach is telling you to slow down, there's a good reason, Uh, maybe a couple of good reasons, uh, you know, help you learn a little bit and, and use your brain as you're rolling. And also it's just a safer way to train. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as we always talk about it, you're not going to get better um, if you don't have a bunch of training partners around. If you're hurting training partners, nobody's going to want to train with you. And uh, we need to stay on the mat and uh, and keep everybody healthy. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, word of caution is, uh, you know, try not to spaz and uh, hurt people. It's always good advice. Speaking of good advice, good advice would be to tell your friends to listen to the show. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, every time that, uh, you tell a, tell a buddy about the show. Um, I figure if you listen to the show, you probably like jujitsu. And if you like jujitsu, you probably have a lot of friends who like jujitsu. So definitely let people know about it. Um, and I, I really think you guys are really letting people know about it. Cause as, as like Byron's been saying is our numbers have been, you know, jumping through the roof lately. Um, we really don't know what's happened. Uh, we wish we could figure out exactly why our numbers have doubled here lately on number of downloads. But we, you know, it's probably due to you guys telling your friends. So uh, we really do appreciate each and every one of you guys. And uh, we would not have a show without you guys. Yeah. And, you know, face to face, just, hey, check this out is a great way to tell people. But uh, it's, I know it's a, it's, it's an odd thing. Uh, on Facebook to like hit like or share on the podcast. You know, like we put a picture up and everybody likes it and love in an article. People love those and, and share and like it. But a podcast, there it is. It popped up. The people that hit like on that are hitting like before they even listen to it, which is amazing to me. Like the, like they know that the show is going to be good. And it's like, yes, I will endorse this before I even listen to it. Uh, my friends, I wish that they would check this out. And that's just like a, like a step of, of, of them coming here, I guess, 200 sometimes and listening to the show and knowing that, yeah, what this is going to be, this sounds like a good topic or a, a great guest and Eddie Fivey uh, that, uh, that I want to share with my, my amigos on, uh, on Facebook or wherever it might be. So uh, really a lot of uh, thanks to anybody who is liking or sharing this because I know a lot of that it's done before you even listen. And that's, uh, that's I don't know if I would do that. That's pretty brave, Gary. That's definitely brave. Um, hey, and also, too, um, if you want to check out a little bit more BJJ Brick, we are also on uh, different avenues of social media. We're on Reddit. We're on uh, Twitter. And uh, we're on YouTube. So definitely uh, check us out on uh, all those different venues. Absolutely. Gary, next week we've got an interesting show. It's the last show of the month, which means it's just you and me, my friend, and our friend listening to us right now. Definitely. I I can't wait. Uh, It's going to be an awesome episode and uh, probably going to be some shenanigans and uh, probably a couple times uh, Byron will make fun of me uh, like a typical show. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Uh, But the show topic next week is things that BJJ can learn from MMA and vice versa. So things MMA can learn from BJJ. So if you're training one or the other or both, maybe some a little bit of crossover learning. I think we can learn a lot from looking into other sports. And of course, MMA is a great one to look at. 
as far as you know, picking up little tips or maybe training ideas or philosophies or competitive aspects of things. And uh, I think this will be an interesting topic for the Jiu-Jitsu practitioner and also the people doing MMA. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can't wait for that episode. And when's that going to be? That is going to be next week, Brian. Awesome. I'm looking forward to re- I'm excited about recording that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Well, as always, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You might have noticed that Gary started this podcast out with a odd, very white impression, and it didn't really make any sense. But I'll play for you the conversation we had leading up to that starting of the podcast, and it might make a little more sense. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, ready on my end. Gary, try to use your like your sexiest voice pod. No, I'm just playing. You already do that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure. You must be setting me up. <laughs> no, I got nothing, man. I just made that up. Anyway, you, don't do it. <laughs> just be yourself, Gary. Cool. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 201 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Barry White. Nice. Barry White. Wow. We have uh, taken the co-hosting role up a notch. Ladies and gentlemen, Barry White on the BJJ Break Podcast. Barry, take it away. That's right. Nothing makes us want to grapple more than listening to good quality, very white music. Thank you so much, Barry White, for making an appearance on the show. It means a ton to us. Man, we have some fun on this show, don't we? We'll catch you guys next week. Take us home very white.